Welcome to Manna for Breakfast, the daily Bible reading devotional which chronologically takes you through the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation in one year. Grab a cup of coffee and your Bible and join us as we journey together through God's Word. All right, good morning. This is a a recording before we go down to our women's conference. Those of you that are normally live with us, welcome to the podcast. So we are moving on in the book of Exodus. We'll be looking today at chapters 27 and 28. If you want to find your your way in the Bible, find yourselves your place there. But before we do, let's look at this day in trivia for the 18th. What happened on this day? Oh, well, first off, um, we'll get the quote for the day by Charlie Chaplin. I love to walk in the rain because no one can see me cry. (laughs) uh, That's pretty profound. Pluto was found on this day, 1930, is discovered by Clyde Tumbla, the Lowell Observatory in Arizona. And... um, yeah, he created quite a stir now in our day because now they decided it's not a planet anymore. It's a satellite. The first cow to fly in an airplane. Well, that now there's a noteworthy, newsworthy item. 1930, a cow named Elm Farm Ollie becomes the first cow to fly in an airplane. The 72-mile trip from Bismarck, Missouri to St. Louis was part of the International Air Exposition from St. Louis. Elm Ark Elm Farm Oli was milked in mid-flight, and her milk was placed in paper cartons and parachuted to spectators below after the flight. Elm Farm Oli became known as Sky Queen. <laughs> 1930 on this day. Hmm. February 18th, 1961, Jefferson Davis is inaugurated as the president of the Confederate States. Davis had been a member of the U.S. Senate and had previously served in the U.S. Secretary of War. And Gambia becomes a nation. West African colony gains independence from Great Britain in 1965. Boy, that's recent. And let's see what else. Georgian calendar adopted by Sweden, 1753. So when they changed... Today is that February 18th. They changed, jump from the 18th to March 1st. And again, how does that mess you up if you have payments to make? If you have, what about your paycheck? I mean, did, <laughs> how did all that work? Pilgrim's Progress on this day, 1678. English preacher John Bunyan first publishes his famous religious work in England. For over 200 years, except for the Bible, it was the most widely read book in the world. There you go. All right, well, let's look at a dad joker, too. The first one we have is, why is milk the fastest liquid? It's past your eyes before you see it. (laughs) All right, we'll just leave it at that one for today. That was pretty good. And we will look into now Exodus If you will find your Bibles, please. And we are in Exodus 27. Father God, guide us and direct us. Thank you for your love for us. And we desire to understand the altar, God. We desire to understand your tabernacle. These are profound thoughts for us, much beyond what we can really understand. But help us to understand 
as much as we can. In Jesus' name, amen. Chapter 27, book of Exodus, and you shall make the altar of acacia wood, five cubits long and five cubits wide. The altar shall be square, and its height shall be three cubits. And you shall make its horns on its four corners. Its horns shall be of one piece with it, and you shall overlay it with bronze. You shall make its pails for removing its ashes and its shovels and its bases and its forks and its firepans. You shall make all its utensils of bronze. You shall make for it a grating of network of bronze, and on the net you shall make four bronze rings at its four corners. You shall put it beneath under the edge of the altar, so the net will reach halfway up the altar. You shall make poles for the altar, poles of acacia wood, and overlay them with bronze. Its poles shall be inserted into the rings so that the poles shall be on the two sides of the altar. When it is carried, you shall make it hollow with planks as it is shown to you in the mountain, so they shall make it. Verse 9, you shall make the court of the tabernacle. On the south side, you shall make the hangings of the court of fine twisted linen, 100 cubits long for one side, and its pillars shall be 20 with their 20 sockets of bronze. The hooks of the pillars and their bands shall be of silver. Likewise, for the north side in length, there shall be hangings 100 cubits long, and its 20 pillars with their 20 sockets of bronze. The hooks of the pillars and their bands shall be of silver. For the width of the court on the west side shall be hangings of 50 cubits with their 10 pillars and their 10 sockets. The width of the court on the east side shall be 50 cubits. The hanging for the one side of the gate shall be 15 cubits with their three pillars and their three sockets. And for the other side shall be hangings of 15 cubits with their three pillars and their three sockets. For the gate of the court, there shall be a screen of 20 cubits of blue and purple and scarlet material and fine twisted linen. The work of the weaver with their four pillars and their four sockets. All the pillars around the court shall be furnished with silver bands with their hooks of silver and their sockets of bronze. The length of the court shall be 100 cubits, width 50 cubits, and the height 5 cubits of fine twisted linen, and their sockets of bronze. All the utensils of the tabernacle used in all its service, and all its pegs, and all the pegs of the court shall be of bronze. You shall charge the sons of Israel that they bring you clear oil of beaten olives, for the light to make a lamp burn continually in the tent of meeting outside the veil which is before the testimony Aaron and his sons shall keep it in order from evening till morning before the Lord it shall be a perpetual statute throughout their generations for all Israel chapter 28 then bring near to yourself Aaron your brother and his sons with him, and from among the sons of Israel to minister as priests to me, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar, Aaron's sons. You shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. You shall speak to all the skillful persons whom I have endowed with the spirit of wisdom that they make Aaron's garments to consecrate him. 
that he might minister as priest to me. These are the garments which they shall make, a breastpiece, and an ephod, and a robe, and a tunic of checkered work, a turban, and a sash, and they shall make a holy garment for Aaron and his brother and his sons, that he may minister as priest to me. They shall take the gold and the blue and the purple and the scarlet material and the fine linen. They shall also make the ephod of gold and of blue and purple and scarlet material and fine twisted linen, the work of the skillful workmen. It shall have two shoulder pieces joined to its ends that it might be joined. The skillfully woven band which is on it shall be like its workmanship of the same material of gold and of blue and of purple and of scarlet material and fine twisted linen. You shall take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel, six of their names on one stone and the name of the remaining six on the other stone according to their birth. As a jeweler engraves a signet, you shall engrave the two stones according to the names of the sons of Israel. You shall set them in filigree settings of gold. You shall put the two stones on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as stones of memorial for the sons of Israel. And Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders for memorial. You shall make filigree settings of gold and two chains of purple gold and two chains of pure gold. You shall make them of twisted cordage work and you shall put the corded chain on the filigree settings. You shall make a breastpiece of judgment, the work of a skillful workman, like the work of an ephod. You shall make it of gold and blue and purple and scarlet material of fine twisted linen. You shall make it. It shall be square and, and folded double, a span in length and a span in width, and shall mount on it four rows of stones. The first row shall be a row of ruby, topaz, and emerald. The second row, a turquoise, a sapphire, and diamond. Third row, a jacinth, an agate, and amethyst. The fourth row, a barrel, an onyx, and a jasper. They shall be set in gold filigree. The stones shall be according to the names of the sons of Israel. Twelve according to their names. They shall be like the engravings of a seal, each according to his name for the twelve tribes. You shall make on the breast piece chains of twisted cordage work in pure gold. You shall make on the breastpiece two rings of gold and shall put the two rings on the two ends of the breastpiece. You shall put the other two ends of the two cords of the two filigree settings and put them on the shoulder pieces of the ephod at the front of it. You shall make two rings of gold and shall place them on two ends of the breastpiece on the edge of it which is toward the inner side of the ephod. Verse 27, you shall make two rings of gold and put them on the bottom of the two shoulder pieces of the ephod, on the front of it close to the place where it is joined above the skillfully woven band of the ephod. They shall bind the breast piece by its rings to the rings of the ephod with the blue cord, so that it will be on skillfully woven band of ephod and that the breastpiece will not come loose from the ephod. Aaron shall carry the names of the sons of Israel in the breastpiece of judgment over his heart when he enters the holy place for a memorial before the Lord continually. You shall put in the breastpiece of the judgment, the Urim and the Thummim, 
and they shall be over Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord. And Aaron shall carry the judgment of the sons of Israel over his heart before the Lord continually. You shall make a robe of the ephod all of blue. There shall be an opening at its top in the middle of it. Around its opening there shall be a binding of woven work like the opening of a coat of mail, so it will not be torn. You shall make on its hem pomegranates of blue and purple and scarlet material all around on its hem and bells of gold between them all around. A golden bell and a pomegranate, a golden bell and a pomegranate all around the hem of the robe. It shall be on Aaron when he ministers and its tinkling shall be heard when he enters and leaves the holy place before the Lord so that he will not die. You shall also make a plate of pure gold and shall engrave on it like the engravings of the seal holy to the Lord. Verse 37. You shall fasten on it a blue cord and it shall be on the turban. It shall be at the front of the turban. It shall be on Aaron's forehead. And Aaron shall take away the iniquity of the holy things which the sons of Israel consecrate with regard to all their holy gifts, and it shall always be on his forehead, that they may be accepted before the Lord. You shall weave the tunic of checkered work of fine linen, and shall make a turban of fine linen. And you shall make a sash, the work of a weaver. For Aaron's sons, you shall make tunics, you shall also make sashes for them, and you shall make caps for them for glory and for beauty. You shall put them on Aaron and his brother, on his sons with him, and you shall anoint them and ordain them and consecrate them, that they may serve me as priests. You shall make for them linen breeches to cover their bare flesh. They shall reach from their loins even to their thighs. They shall be on Aaron and his sons when they enter the tent of meeting or when they approach the altar to minister in the holy place so that they may not incur guilt. And die, it shall be a statute forever to him and to his descendants after him. What a wonderful description we have. The details here are, are quite amazing. Down to the bells and the pomegranates around the hem of the garment. Everything has meaning. The blue, the pomegranates, the, the bells. Um, I love this study. What you are to... Get just take away from this and the overall scheme of things is God is consecrating a priesthood so that man can come before a holy God by way of a mediator. So what is he setting up? He's setting up the, the prototype of the Messiah. That man needs to come before God and he needs a high priest to make sacrifice for him and he needs a sacrifice and we find out in the book of hebrews that jesus is our high priest and he's also the sacrifice so he's setting all this up and of course putting on the turbans his holy unto the lord he's making aaron into a prototype of the coming messiah to model the gospel in the old testament now they're going to be living according to the law, because the law is a tutor. And so they're acting all this out to get provisional forgiveness 
provisional forgiveness for each sin, and they have to keep going back and getting more and more sacrifices for each time they sin. But each time is to remind them that you cannot come before a holy God without having a mediator, the blood, and a sacrifice, and atonement, and propitiation, and that all that needs to be brought in to the Holy of Holies. It's all brought up through the smoke of the sacrifice of prayer, the sweet-smelling fragrance, a, a sin offering, a, a asking for forgiveness, repentance. You get all of this played out, and we're going to see how Aaron is anointed uh, next time as we read through this. It's quite phenomenal where the Holy Spirit is brought into the whole picture in a major way. So we look at this, and even though it sounds a little bit tedious for us, because we're not Jewish per se, we don't we weren't there. It's quite amazing if you ever get a chance to go to the the Temple Institute in um, Jerusalem, you see the the ephod, you see the garment, you see all these details, and all of a sudden it makes sense. Oh yeah, there they are. Yeah, the blue around and the opening around the neck, how it's embroidered. Now I see the bells. Now I see how those clasps were put together, and the rings and how the ephod was held together. Very very interesting. All right, so let's move on to Mark now. We're going to pick up Mark chapter 1 and verse 23, if you can find your place. Mark 1, Just then there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, What business do you have with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet, and come out of him. After throwing him into convulsions and crying out with a loud voice, the unclean spirit came out of him, and they were all amazed. So they debated among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even unclean spirits to obey him. Immediately the news about him spread everywhere into all the surrounding regions of Galilee. Verse 29. And immediately after they left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was laying sick with fever. Now they immediately spoke to Jesus about her, and he came to her and raised her up, taking her by the hand. And the fever left her, and she served them. Now when evening came, after the sun had set, they began bringing to him all who were ill and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city had gathered at the door, and he healed many who were ill with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew who he was. And in the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and prayed there for time. Simon and his companions eagerly searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let's go somewhere else to the towns nearby, so that I may also preach there, for this is why I came. And he went into the synagogues preaching through the Galilee and casting out demons. And a man with leprosy came to Jesus, imploring him and kneeling down and saying to him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out with his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. He sternly warned him, and immediately sent him away. And he said to him, See that you say 
nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests and offer for your, your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. But he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the news around to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city, but stayed out in unpopulated lands, and they were coming to him from everywhere. <laughs> well, Jesus does not rebuke this person for proclaiming his healing. Um, he, it's That's a tough one. <laughs> if he was really fell into sin for telling him, I think Jesus knew he was going to do it, but... He is cleansed of leprosy. Jesus touches him. You know, a rabbi, a good rabbi would never touch a leper. They're unclean, right? You can't touch a leper. What are you doing? But Jesus, and you would break the law if you touched a leper. And you would have to uh, be unclean until whatever evening or however long. You have to bring a sacrifice. It's very complicated once you touched a leper. According to the law. So, did Jesus break the law? No. Because before he touched him, he cleansed him. <laughs> That's my take. The moment he touched him, he was clean. He was already clean. He said, be clean, and then he touched him to confirm that he was clean, that he wasn't breaking the law. And so he didn't tell him to go make an offering as commanded by Moses for leprosy. But there really <laughs> had been, I think, I guess Naaman was a leper that was cleansed, but he wasn't Jewish to go offer a sacrifice. So it seems like this provision for being healed of leprosy was, was given to Moses, but we don't have record of people being cleansed of, Mo, of leprosy. It was, it was a lifelong disease and terminal. So again, this is in the law. There was made provision for the coming of the Messiah. There was made provision for the supernatural healing of God upon those who had it. Amazing. One of the you know big signs of God in Egypt, <laughs> Moses, put your hand in your bosom and, and take it out. And it was leprous. And he put it back in, took it out, and was cleansed. God had the power. What is leprosy? It's the death of the flesh. It's the slow killing off of the nerve endings with the sensation within the flesh. So you don't even feel it as you're slowly dying. <laughs> Some spiritual parallels there, huh? When you get caught up in sin. You slowly are dying. You don't even feel it. Well, he has the power to cleanse us of those infirmities. And Jesus is now with his disciples, these new fishermen fishing for men. And immediately he's drawing large crowds and he's casting out the demons. The demons are now all coming out of the woodwork. They recognize Jesus for who he is right away, immediately at the beginning of his ministry as he's brought into the synagogue. Isn't it interesting that he goes in there, there's a man with that's demon-possessed. That is a condition that is possible within the church. There's a lot of things going on in the church that we are not aware of many times. Well, let's um, look over to this day with Charles Spurgeon. This should be for the 18th. God will answer. He will fulfill the desire of them that fear him. He also will hear their cry and will save them. His own spirit has wrought this desire in us, and therefore he will answer it. It is his own life within which prompts the cry 
and therefore he will hear it. Those who fear him are men under the holiest influence, and therefore their desire is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Like Daniel, they are men of desires, and the Lord will cause them to realize their aspirations. Holy desires are grace in the blade, and the heavenly husbandmen will cultivate them till they come to the full corn in the ear. God-fearing men desire to be holy, to be useful, to be a blessing to others, and so to honor their Lord. They desire supplies for their need, help under burdens, guidance in perplexity, deliverance in distress. And sometimes this desire is so strong and their cause so pressing that they cry out in agony like little children in pain. And then the Lord works most comprehensively and does all that is needful according to this word and will save them. Yes, if we fear God, we have nothing else to fear. If we cry to the Lord, our salvation is certain. Let the reader lay this text on his tongue and keep it in his mouth all the day, and it will be to him as a wafer made with honey. Man, is that powerful and poetic and true. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is what brings us to salvation and a knowledge of who we are before him and drives us to be diligent about that which we do. And he can empower us for service. And this is really the what the whole filling of the Holy Spirit is about. You can try and take it and twist it and make it something other than really the core of what it is that's empowering us to be diligent about his work and proclaiming here, proclaiming him with boldness. And we praise him when he wants to use us as well for healing and when he wants to give us words of wisdom, when he wants to give us a special tongue. That's beautiful. But these things are merely part of the overall filling and blessing of the Holy Spirit who, who wants to work in us. And the problem is, is people get so focused on the outer areas, uh, on the thing that's not central, that they lose the entire, um, should I say, mandate and blessing that we have from the Lord to make these disciples of men and to go into all the world and baptize them in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. They get caught up in the church experience and spend all their time in church in the worship service and uh, focusing on how they feel. And this can be a danger. And so Charles Spurgeon has some great words for us there. And so let us take heed to that and, and listen to our holy and high priest and our God and our Savior, who is delivering us and bringing us into his, into his tabernacle and blessing us and making us his priests so that we can minister to those around us and bring them to our Lord and Savior, who is the ultimate high priest, the one true mediator between man and God. So let's pray. Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this day. Thank you for what's happening at the Women's Conference right now. Blessing God, though all these ladies, may you bless Renee as she speaks, and uh, may it just be a special time for everyone down there. Guide us on our way home, bless us on our way back, and even as we're arriving there, thank you, God, for your traveling mercies. We that whoever goes and whoever's involved might grow deeper with you and have a deeper understanding of your love for them. 
Thank you for everything you're doing, God. We, we think of the many difficult things going on in this world right now, and we do not want to forget those that are suffering through the tragedies of these wars that are going on, these bombings, these explosions, and the tragedy of these earthquakes. God, there's so many people that are, have no homes, that have lost so many loved ones, and we just pray that you reach them with your gospel, God. You, you send the missionaries, the bold ones, the diligent ones, the ones who are willing to go out into the world and proclaim your name, even where the demons are, because we know they will flee at your name. So empower them, all of our brothers and sisters in the ministry, Samaritan's Purse, the different ministries that are working over there, the Calvary Chapels, just for, for service and, and fill them afresh with your Holy Spirit. Give them the food they need. Thank you, Father, for what you're doing in, in our church. Thank you for the this day and ask you to bless tomorrow the service as we will be fellowshipping together, seeing these new truths, that are, these things that are about to come to place in the book of Revelation. Thank you for everyone that's coming, everyone that's getting involved with Manna for Breakfast and now here in the podcast. Uh, thank you for their commitment and all that you are doing in them. We are, we are blessed and we are encouraged, God, because of them. So thank you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. There we go. That'll do it for now. So tomorrow we'll probably we'll do another podcast at some point. I'll, re, I'll get on that. Uh, I'll have to record Sundays um, and um, get that out. So you guys listening on Monday, <laughs> thank you for putting up with the 24-hour time lag. We love you. We appreciate you. Join us live. Some